0: there all of yous and welcome back to Hits 21 where me Rob me Andy and me Lizzie all look back at every single UK number one of the 21st century from January 2000 right through to this present day if you want to get in touch with us you can find us over on Twitter we are at Hits 21 UK that is at Hits 21 UK you can email us too just send it on over to hits21podcast.gmail.com thank you so much for joining us again just like our previous episodes we'll be looking back at some number one singles from the year 2002 this time we'll be covering the period from the 24th of February through to the 20th of April in the year 2002 um, we briefly mentioned the Twitter account just earlier Andy you're still carrying on with your album series on there Uh, so if you're interested in andy's thoughts about his own cd collection from a to z then at hits 21 uk is the place to go for that and also thank you very much for just waiting for us for a couple of weeks we would have ordinarily recorded last week but we had to put our efforts into something else which will become clear in the future um going back two weeks to our previous episode our poll winner uh, we put the poll out on Spotify and on Twitter, and I was right. We got way more engagements and a much better idea of how people feel about the songs that we're covering, and it was tight. It was tight, but My Sweet Lord by George Harrison took the uh, Song of the Week title from our listeners. Excellent. Given that George Harrison's won it,
1: every week from now on when someone else wins it, we can say, huh, ah, it's been done. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: i'm really glad we've got simpsons fans listening to us because oh my god the amount of I wonder, I wonder how many minutes of an i wonder how of all the episodes we've done i wonder how many minutes have been lost on people who have just never watched the simpsons Oh geez. it will never stop though <laughs> anyway onto this week's episode and as always we're going to give you some news headlines from around the time that the songs that we're covering this week were at number one in the uk charts The Queen Mother, wife to George VI and mother to Queen Elizabeth II, dies aged 101. More than a million people lined the streets for her funeral and polls indicated that the popularity of the royal family increased in the aftermath. Elsewhere, singer Doreen Waddell, who performed with Soul to Soul and the KLF, dies aged 36. Uh, Waddell was accused of shoplifting by staff at a Tesco in Shoreham by Sea before she ran through a fire exit at the store and onto the A27, where she was hit by several cars. It's just very strange and very sad. Um, Yeah, very sad. Really, really sad. 13-year-old Amanda Dowler, known as Millie Dowler,
1: goes missing on her way home from school. Her body was found six months later, and in 2011, convicted killer Levi Belfield was found guilty of her murder. Around the time that Belfield was convicted, it was revealed that journalists working for the News of the World had hacked into Millie's voicemail after she was reported missing, giving her parents false hope that she was still alive. The public outcry led to a range of investigations and the eventual closure of the newspaper. Just an awful, awful, despicable story all round, basically. Mm
2: -hmm. Meanwhile, Birmingham criminal Andrew Aston is sentenced to 26 concurrent terms of life imprisonment, the longest sentence ever imposed on any criminal in England and Wales, for attacking 26 elderly people in their homes across a series of robberies in 2001. Two of his victims died as a result of their injuries, by the time he was sentenced, a total of six of his victims had died, while many others were too frail to give evidence.
0: Just bad news all round, this yeah, episode. Yeah, really? Just bleak yes. time. Yeah. There, were, there were points during like the year 2000 where I thought, oh, there's not a lot of news, is there, really? And then 2002, and like, it just feels like ever since September 11th, it just feels like the news has just suddenly got sadder. Or everywhere, and I'm not really sure why that suddenly happened. But mm. anyway, uh, moving on. The films to hit the top of the UK box office during this period were as follows Oceans 11 for three weeks, Ali G in the house for one week, Blade 2 for two weeks, and Bend It Like Beckham for two weeks as well. In EastEnders, Martin Kemp makes his final appearance as Steve Owen, who is killed when his car explodes after crashing at high speed mm. and I left out no. the bit that sort of incriminates Phil Mitchell in his death where Steve's screaming at him like Phil can you help me? Phil the door's stuck and Phil Mitchell's just stood on the other side of the road like yeah I can see that
1: uh, <laughs> you I'll think funny. about it <laughs> Well wasn't that
0: sort of the final climax
1: to the who shot Phil story because Steve hadn't shot him but had helped arrange the shooting so Phil got his own back with Steve's Fiery demise. I think that was the end of that story. But um I might be wrong on that? on that. I don't know. I was sort of watching it at this time, but because I was very young and it was a very adult era at least then as well with a lot of gangsters, much of it went way, way over my head. So I may have pieced bits together that aren't actually connected, but who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meanwhile, BBC Knowledge as its final broadcast before being replaced by BBC Four while The Big Breakfast airs its final episode after nine and a half years on Channel 4. A joint report published by the ITC and the BSC reveals that for the first time, more than half of British TV viewers now have access to multiple channels beyond terrestrial TV. BBC Knowledge, not heard of that at
0: all, don't remember that. I kind of remember it. I seem to think that it was the only channel because when TV channels only came on at seven in the morning, I seem to remember that before CBBC there was some BBC knowledge things on there, and then that kind of ended. But that's a very very foggy memory of the late nineties. That for me, so sort of (laughs) like 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 sort of open university type stuff.
1: They would have exactly that. Like in the
2: middle of the night, they'd show all the schools content.
1: Ah, that's really cool. That's a shame that that was gotten rid of.
2: Meanwhile, ITV Digital goes into administration after failing to reach an agreement with the Football League to broadcast matches over the next three years. The collapse of the deal, worth three hundred and fifteen million pounds, had a devastating impact on many football clubs. Fourteen Football League clubs were placed into administration between two thousand two and two thousand six. Compared to just four between 1998 and 2002, and I feel like we're still feeling the effects of this now. Yes, this was huge. Berry went under, and like Bolton nearly did.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of clubs who really, really hedged their bets with the money from ITV Digital coming in every year, and then when that collapsed, uh, well, massive problems. Uh, like you say, that you're still feeling the effects of. And, you know, the team I support, um, City, like we got promoted uh, from the championship in 2002 and it's a bloody good job that we did. Bloody hell, you're right. Yeah, we were one of the very, very lucky few that managed to sneak out just in time. Yeah. Mm. Andy, how are the album charts looking at this point?
1: I must say they're looking quite quiet during this period, to be honest. Um, I've only got a few... Um, new entries to tell you about, and they're all sort of modestly... so. Su- I mean, they're successful, but, you know, not huge hits. We pick up with the, the very best of Sting and the Police by Sting and the Police, which was number one at the end of last episode. That's still here. Um, and that's unseated by another best of compilation, which is the essential Barbara Streisand, who I know is very popular, but is just not someone I ever imagined getting number one... Compilation albums, if I'm honest. It was around Mother's Day, I guess. That is a good shout. It must have been around Mother's Day, yeah. Um, it was very successful in two times platinum, but it was only number one for a week. And that was replaced by Silver Side Up by everyone's favourite band, oh. Nickelback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, say what you like about them, but it was very successful. It's three times platinum, two weeks at number one. Um, it was much bigger, I'm sure Lizzie you'll be able to tell me this, is much, much bigger in America, as we have sort of previously discussed. But um, Nickelback get an unfair rap, don't they? But this is just evidence that they were actually genuinely popular at this point in time. Um, so let's hear it for them. But yeah. Um, and then after that, that's replaced at the top by A New Day Has Come by an artist even more dull than Nickelback. It can only be Celine Dion. Uh, who has four weeks at the top. But oddly, it only goes one times platinum. So definitely a very quiet period on the charts um, with three artists who I don't usually tend to in Barbara Streisand, Nickelback and Celine Dion. But there we have
0: it. Yeah, that's the album charts. Lizzie, how are things in the States?
2: Well, after Jarl and Ashanti spent two weeks at number one with Always On Time, which I mentioned in the previous episode, ah, yeah. the number one spot would be claimed by... Ja Rule, who returned to number one as a guest on Jennifer Lopez's single, Ain't It Funny, Murder Remix, which is sadly not a Danny Brown cover. (laughs) (laughs) It spent six weeks at number one and finished at number 13 on the year-end chart, but stalled at number four in the UK. Meanwhile, in the album's chart, Jennifer Lopez and Alan Jackson traded the number one spot for three weeks until Alanis Morissette reached number one with her album, Under Rug Swept, which stayed at number one for one week, and went platinum in the US, but got stuck at number two in the UK, behind, what else? The essential Barbra No.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh.
2: After that, the soundtrack to the Coen Brothers film, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, hit number one for two weeks. Wow! Going huh. eight times platinum in the process, and finishing at number six on the year-end list. And following that, the American version of the Now series returned to number one with Now 9, which featured 20 hit singles from the time, but none of which we've covered, or indeed will cover, on this podcast. And finally this week, Celine Dion scored her third Billboard number one album with A New Day Has Come, which went three times platinum, finished at number 19 on the year-end list, and also went to number one in the UK albums chart, as you've just heard.
0: Okay then, alright then. Thank you very much, Andy and Lizzie, for those reports. Time to press on and get on with our singles this week. And the first of three, sort of four, but technically three, is this.
2: You make me feel funny. When you come around, yeah, that's what I found out, honey. What am I do without you? You make me feel happy. When I leave you behind, it please my mind now, honey. What am I do without you? Oh, I took program. What am I doing without
0: you? What am I doing without you? Well, I okay, this is World of Our Own by Westlife. Released as the second single from the group's third studio album entitled World of Our Own, World of Our Own is Westlife's eleventh single overall to be released in the UK and their ninth song to reach number one. It's not the last time we'll be covering Westlife on this podcast either. World of Our Own went straight in at number one as a brand new entry, knocking Enrique Iglesias off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for just one week. In its first and only week atop the charts, it sold 102,000 copies, beating competition from In Your Eyes by Kylie Minogue, which oh. got to number three. Oh, oh so disappointing. British public. so oh. disappointing. Um, The World's Greatest by Robert Sylvester Kelly, which got to number four. Be With Me by Mystique, which got to number five. And Nothing by A, which got to number nine. I can't believe I charted so high. Jesus. (laughs) Um, When it was knocked off the top of the charts, World of Our Own dropped five places to number six. I felt that from here. And by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100, 18 weeks, so a, a pretty decent stay
2: Yeah, in, not bad. Uh, in
0: the charts. Andy, world of our own, how are we? How do we feel? Yeah,
1: so you know we have our secret scoring system that we only reveal at the end of each year, and I was, I was coming to score this song and I thought I have to surely automatically give it an extra point compared to all the other Westlife songs we've covered, because it's at least got a beat. Like it's got some rhythm to it. At least they've you know managed to step out of a tempo that's beyond seventy. You know, it's um, it's it's, it's got a little bit more energy to it than um, than all the other Westlife songs we've covered so far have really, with the possible exception of Uptown Girl. But the less said about that, better. I I think as so though before we before I listened to this song for this week, I I was like oh, I like World of Our and that's nowhere near as bad as all the other Westlife songs, that's, that's fine, I'll, I'll enjoy that. And I did, but I think the contrast between this and Westlife's ballads is actually not as big as I imagined it in my head. It's still got a lot of the familiar Westlife problems with it, which is the kind of overall blandness Um, of not just the vocal performance, but the production as well. The sort of sense that it's afraid to kick into high gear and would rather tug at the heartstrings strings than it would, you know, tug at the piano strings, as it will. You know, rather than actually push themselves, it kind of goes for the easy things with the key change and the strings and the big notes. And I just think, you know, this was something a little bit different for Westlife and... What's interesting is that the fans really responded to it at the time when Westlife did something more upbeat and more fun. Because, do you know the song When You're Looking Like That by Westlife? Am I supposed to leave you now? That one. Mm. That was only released as a single due to fan pressure because it was like the only fast one. And and <laughs> World of Our Own sort of capitalises on on that as well. But it's a little bit of a damp squib, I think, unfortunately. Um yeah, the only other memory I really have of this song from the time is... Um a TV series I watched about Busted. I think it was the one where they went to America, America or Busted, which we weirdly, we've been all talking about recently. Um, America or Busted. But there's this bit where Busted are in the car singing along to World of Our Own. None of them know the lyrics to the bridge bit, so it's just the three of them going, what you do? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the only bit they know. <laughs> yeah, you can tell that they're sort of like out of the comfort zone with the lyrics, uh, and certainly it, they, they keep on doing this thing in so many of their songs where they do a key change that they're not capable of and they're audibly straining at the high notes. It's really weird. It's as though all (laughs) of them and whoever is producing these songs has it in their head that they are capable of higher notes than they are because this is a problem that's not being addressed and it makes it sound cheap and tacky, which it is. I think we've learned that at this point. Um, Yeah, I, I really am so running out of things to say about Westlife and I was hopeful that this one would give me more. Um, But really, it's the same old thing with just a slightly faster tempo given to it, which is disappointing, yeah. Lizzie, do you feel the same?
2: I feel exactly the same. You've pretty much taken the words out of my mouth, where it's (laughs) like, oh, thank God it's not another ballad, but I've got some bad news. This is the last Westlife number one that isn't a ballad. Oh, God. Yeah, because... We only had two... (laughs) <laughs> oh, I know, I know, and like because they release um, what was it, "Bot Bot Baby"? A couple of months after this, and it only gets to number five. Mm, so yeah. it seems like the 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 audience kind of rejected this up tempo, <laughs> fast West life, fast life. Like <laughs> people just didn't want it; they they wanted slow life. <laughs> and well, here it is, and I've again like you, Andy, I've. Find myself really running out of things to say because this is, this is pleasant, but it's not much more than that. I think I kind of put it in the same vein as like life is a roller coaster, but it's obviously better than that. Have
0: you've yeah. been reading my notes, Lizzie, because when I get no. to my segment, you're going to be like, "Have you been reading my notes?" <laughs> <laughs> I t- for the record, I think it's way better than life is a roller coaster. There's, there's something
2: oh, about me that
1: song that just aggravates me, and this is not that bad, but yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's got that kind of... Well, it's sort of aiming for that new radical sound. It doesn't quite hit, but it at least gives it a go. And I think some credit where credit's due, but uh, I can kind of... I can take or leave it, but still, it's better than Queen and My Heart, put it that way.
0: <laughs> oh, God, anything was. yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope I don't come across like I'm... Just cribbing off YouTube, but yeah, I had the same feeling where like this starts and you're like, "Hey, something a bit different." Like you know, <laughs> like if, if Blue, if, if Blue had tackled this sort of thing around the same time, I don't think their version would be that different. Like no, you know, they might no. have souped up the drum machine in the back to give it a bit of an R and B flavor instead of just kind of playing it straight like Westlife do. But you can imagine them doing something like this. And of course, in the background, you'd get Lee with a.
2: <laughs> Somewhere over it as well.
0: <laughs> but Lizzie, this is where I was um, wondering whether we had been reading each other's notes at the same time. I can also imagine Ronan Keating doing something like this, so, you know? Oh yeah, definitely swings and roundabouts. Um, and I think that kind of taps into the considerable issues I do have with this, but I'll I'll get to those in a second. Like they are a little bit out of their comfort zone here, but by a little, I mean like half a baby step but like they (laughs) adjust fairly well and they they sound kind of happy with themselves the performances are a bit more spirited and their surroundings require a bit more of them and they're just about up to the task you know they can't rely entirely on the default settings of having a clean voice and and a ballad that everybody already sort of knows even if it's an original composition of theirs you know this is original material that's a bit more upbeat than we're all used to and you know they've got to provide a bit of character themselves and they they sort of mostly get there but andy i think you described it as as bland Mm -hmm. and in my notes i've just put this is just so westlife in it like this i mean i know it's westlife but it just exudes Westlife it it's it's giving Westlife in like not a not in a not in a nice way um it might be a baby step out of their comfort zone but their comfort zone is literally just one thing the same thing <laughs> over and over like it's yeah. a small box and this is them thinking about lifting the lid but then deciding no no, like, it's, it's like it's a tentative toe in this water testing how the public might respond to something a bit more 21st century mm. and they still do absolutely everything to reassure you that yes this is Westlife you know, this ho- that horrendous, uninvited key change at the end. The way that, oh, God. In, in my head, yeah. the way the song, like, it leaves little gaps in the verses for them to, like, smile at the camera and sway on their little stools when they're on top of the pops. You can just imagine, you know, like, he goes, you make me feel happy, and he's, like, smiling at the camera and doing a little, like, ooh, ooh, you know, little look to the camera, and, you know, they might cut to one of the other ones who's not singing, who'll give a little wink. And then the audience will go, whoa! And, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's just—it's so precisely and transparently calculated and manipulative. And like, I get it. Like, you know, fifty mm. percent of all pop is manipulation. But I'm not in the audience that's gonna be manipulate, gonna be like manipulated by this. So there's nothing here for me. And Lizzie, I also mentioned Bot Bot Baby in my notes, only getting to number five, which makes me think that they thought, oh okay, we'll just go back to doing what we do best. And so, not to spoil it too much, but the next one we're going to come to is Unbreakable, which is back to the same kind of ballads that if they were any slower, they'd go backwards. So this is left as like the teeniest risk, like the teeniest risk that they ever took and they backtracked from it immediately.
2: It's like (laughs) Um, when you see like crisp snow with just a little paw print in it. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. I do think that that thing that happened with When You're Looking Like That, though, where that was, like, the, f- the fan base loved that one. I don't know maybe if it was just that song in particular, but it's like, that one actually is okay. Like, I wouldn't be that harsh on that song. I, I don't mind that song. I don't know whether it's, like, some confusion of the fan base want more upbeat ones than the general public do. Maybe there's a, like, difference of perception there and what people want from Westlife. But, yeah, there's definitely something to this of, like, they're not sure whether to do up-tempo songs or just do a ballad every single time <laughs> and it's very frustrating to watch you know it's that i so agree with what you said robin that it's like manipulative and by the numbers because i think i think at this point it's gone beyond formulaic and it's like they have an actual house sound i don't mean a house as in like dance music i mean house as in like all of their songs are like produced exactly the same mm. yeah. and unless you're like you know Craft work or Sex Pistols, or BGs, and you're like genre-defining. That's a really dangerous thing to do, to have all of your so- songs sound basically the same. And it's like, how do they get away with this? I really don't understand how they got so many number ones, because it's like, come on, fellas, at this point, you're just so boring. Come on.
2: Ah,
0: yeah. Thankfully, it doesn't last too far into the 2000s. Um, but anyway... Uh, we'll move swiftly on we'll leave Westlife in the dust for now
2: and we'll pick up another Westlife song
0: yeah yes <laughs> yeah um, yeah let's get let's kind of get onto it I suppose <laughs> yeah. this is anything is possible double a side with evergreen by will young released as the lead single from his debut album from now on anything is possible double a side with evergreen is also will young's debut single in the uk it is of course his first to reach number one but it's not the last time we'll be discussing will on this podcast Anything is Possible, double A side with Evergreen, went straight in at number one as a brand new entry, knocking Westlife off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for three weeks. In its first week atop the charts, it sold, and brace yourself for this, 1,108,000 copies, becoming the fastest selling debut single of all time in the UK. It beat competition from Whenever Wherever by Shakira, which got to number two.
2: Stupid British Public.
0: I know, Stupid British Public. Something by Lasgo, which got to number four, also Stupid British Public. And How You Remind Me by Nickelback, which charted at number 73. And then, to quote Al Needham, soared 68 (laughs) places to number five. In its second week on top, it sold 377,000 copies, beating competition from I Will Always Love You by Rick Waller, which got to number six. Oh. I know, bless him. In its third and final week at the top, it sold 100,000 copies and beat competition from Me, Julie by Ali G and Shaggy, <laughs> which got to number two. And, as we heard of before, Ain't It Funny, Murder Remix by Jennifer Lopez and ja Rule which got to number four. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Anything Is Possible, Double A side with Evergreen, dropped one place to number two. And by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top 100 uh, for 23 weeks. It is, of course, the second number one of 2002 to sell a million copies in the UK. Okay, should we talk a little bit about him winning Pop Idol? And then... The single or should we just go into the song? There, There
1: is just one more stat I want to mention to be fair yeah. There's, I mean there was a lot of stats there so thank you very much for them but this is quite a big moment we should acknowledge that this is the highest selling single of the decade this is the number one selling oh, song yeah, yeah. Um, Evergreen specifically apparently is the number one selling song of the entire noughties um, yeah, yeah quite impressive um, because it sort of disappeared after this it had 1.8 overall 1.8 million sales overall and most of those you've just mentioned in the first three weeks so yeah
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think some of them were pre-sales as well there was like a million pre-sales and then they automatically got registered or something like that so but still wow the power of pop idol hey
1: Yeah, all the X Factor ones, that's worth mentioning, you know, that all the X Factor ones didn't Mm. sell as well as this did, and I think that's because this is the original, I mean I say original, I'm just thinking about hearsay now but this is not the same, you know this was live on TV, they were voted for by the public, for the public, you know, this was the public's ready made pop star in the way that went even beyond what the series pop stars had done, and um, it did feel like a massive, massive moment for a few weeks in time. Will Young was like the most famous person in the UK, and Gareth Gates wasn't far behind, really. Um, mm. Yeah, it was massive. It was absolutely massive.
0: Andy, what are your thoughts on the uh, the actual song? A- anything is possible well, first. Yeah, it's see. It's a shame that we have to do that first because for me, Evergreen is clearly
1: like the main single here. You know, that's what they. Hmm. Sung in the yeah. final i believe and definitely the one that got more airplay uh, definitely the more well remembered one um because they they're, they're very different Kettles of fish as far as i'm concerned evergreen uh, see i kind of I kind of really like it but i'm not going to deny that that's 100% out of nostalgia um you know this 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 really does take me back to this time far more than most songs do on this podcast you know it's it's just Such an emblem of early 2002 here in Evergreen because you never hear it anywhere now. You never, ever, ever hear this song. I don't know why. I think it's because all the other X Factor winners' singles they were at Christmas, so they tend to get wheeled out at Christmas. So you do hear them from time to time. Whereas Evergreen, I don't think I've heard it at any point in the last ten years, unless I've put it on Spotify. Um, Yeah. And so it's it's hugely motivated by nostalgia that I do really like it, but also motivated by the fact that I really like Will Young. Um, I think he's just quite a nice guy. He's quite a class act and he's quite rare. No disrespect to the, the other talent show winners that we'll cover, but he's quite rare amongst them in that he is, I think, a genuinely really talented singer and would go on to be quite a good songwriter as well. I think he has a really lovely tone to his voice that is not generic pop. It's got quite a lot of soul to it. Um, and in in retrospect you know at the time because i was because i was a kid i really supported gareth but in retrospect there's no doubt that will was the rightful winner of that competition as far as i'm concerned and he deserved mm-hmm. the career that followed and i think it the whole genre of reality tv pop stars would not have t- taken off as much as it did if not for the fact that a fairly credible authentic singer won pop idol and did very well out of it quite deservedly but anyway, as for this song, I mean, Evergreen is is not the kind of thing that, you know, he would do in the future. You know, he would very quickly change his style. And you can sort of tell right from the start that this is not his bag. You know, it's pretty generic, really. I also hate the fact that he had to sing female gender references in this song. You know, he he wasn't allowed to come out of the closet until several months, if not years, I think, after this single was released which is not okay. It's not okay. It's the work of Simon Fuller and Simon Cowell and would go on right until the end of the decade. Mm. Um, But other than that, you know, Evergreen, it does hold quite a lot of fond memories for me. And I think it's a nice song. You know, it's overproduced to the max. Uh, uh, You know, it's got a ridiculous key change in it. Um, But it's a nice enough song. I'm happy to give it a pass. And I think he does a better job with it than Westlife would have done. Let's say that. Anything is possible, on the other hand. Um, Not a fan of that. I think that's that's a, to me feels like an obvious B side, and it's weird that it's a double A side. I think because anything is possible Agreed. sort of feels mm. like a chill out song, like the sort of come down from Evergreen, like give you something a little bit more gentler pace, but also it just feels like it didn't have as much effort put into it as Evergreen. Like the music videos are very different. That anything is possible is just sort of Will on a beach, Will singing at the camera. Will having a walk Will looking gloomy Whereas Evergreen It's like the whole Spotlight in a studio thing So anything is possible I I don't really like that one At at all I think it's quite Bland and forgettable But Evergreen Probably is all those things too But it was a moment in time And I can't not acknowledge that So yeah Love you Will
2: (laughs) I agree with a lot of your points there Andy Um, I mean I'll start with Anything is possible Because that is technically The A side or the A-side of the double A-side, whatever. Um, I mean, yeah, it's pretty unremarkable. Like, it's written by Kathy Dennis and Chris Braid, and their DNA's all over it. Like, they co-wrote Never Had a Dream Come True and Have You Ever for S Club. And this song, while not unpleasant, feels like a retread of a retread of a retread, you know. And, like, Kathy Dennis only a couple months before had written Can't Get You Out of My Head, so it's like... (laughs) <laughs> it's <a> step down <laughs> it's also one of the more blatant winners songs from the pop reality shows like not a million miles away from that song peter k wrote with gary barlow uh, yeah. <laughs> called pop Actra, literally called the yeah. winners song <laughs> yeah so like yeah not terrible by any means but Very easy to see why it was forgotten in favour of the B-side. Also, there's one really weird bit in the middle of the song where I swear the track loses sync with the vocals. Did you notice this? See, I
1: thought it was a very sort of painful move to that key change where it seemed that not lose sync exactly, but it was just sort of out of step for a moment. Is that what you're talking about or a different part of the song?
2: Mm, I can't remember if it's like just before the key change now, but there's a... Bit I think I want to say like in one of the bridges where the vocals and the 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 actual instrumentation just kind of get lost. It's like one speeds up and one slows <laughs> down. <laughs> it's really strange. I'll have to point yeah. it out to you and like after this recording, obviously. But yeah, go and have a listen to that and see if you I can will. spot it. It's I found it really distracting that bit and the bit where he goes, <laughs> <towards> <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> Where he prepares to take off. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny like you know the Beyoncé like walking down the stairs with a couple of <laughs> things, whoa, it's kinda like <laughs> this is just before he sees it sort of tip out of his hands like <laughs> uh, No but Yeah, as for Evergreen, it's definitely the best song here, and it's very easy to forget that it's a cover of a Westlife song. In fact, Westlife themselves had dismissed the song by the time this cover came out, with Brian McFadden going on GMTV and calling it one of the weakest on their album. And, you know, maybe it's just that the song wasn't suited to them, which I can totally buy because I think Will puts in a really good version. I think he gives it some vulnerability that it, it needs because otherwise it's just, you know, it's just another ballad. I think the only problem with it is that obviously with it being the the nature of what it is, which is a winner's song for pop idol, it kind of has to suit several different voices and therefore it doesn't seem tailor-made for any one of them. And this is a problem I'll come to with the next one as well. But I think, yeah, that's my, my biggest qualm with it is that it is quite, generic. It's nicely done, for sure. And, you know, we obviously get much better things to come from Will Young. But, um, yeah, I maybe would have preferred something new. I think that might have, I, I suppose he didn't need it in the end because he had a perfectly good career. But, yeah, maybe, you know, launching a brand new artist into the stratosphere. I don't know if a Westlife cover was necessarily the shots in the arm that he needed Mm. but still it's it's decent it's better than anything is possible put it that way
0: (laughs) i feel the same as you in that i don't know why evergreen is on the right hand side of the line with this i think that evergreen should be the lead single of this double a side um i think it's much better Uh, i think it's that's evergreen's actually a decent ballad i don't Maybe, you know, Westlife, like you say, just didn't fit with them, but, you know, considering what they've served up and what they could have had, you know, it is, it is a bit end of bullseye, isn't it? Like, you know, I mean, Westlife are obviously very successful, <laughs> but it is a bit, you know. But uh, yeah, the thing with anything is possible is like, I barely remember it. And like, I listen to it today. Like, it just, I, it just seems to drift along without ever landing. That There's very, very, very few bits of it that the melodies that i actually pick out and think yes i remember this i could recall this if if asked to do it on like a karaoke night or something like that you know you get up and get told to do it and i, I would really struggle the only I feel like the only bit i'd be able to do would be the anything is possible and possibly the um like you say lizzie the Wee,
2: like the wee. Wee. <laughs> uh,
0: yes, Will Young takes off, um, as you said, Andy. But, um, <laughs> but when I was listening to it, I think coming immediately after Westlife doesn't really do this any favours. Because my, my partner's three years younger than me, and she was born in 97, and so she was five around this time this came out, and she had a different kind of upbringing to me where, you know, her parents didn't really watch Pop Idol or get involved with anything like that. And so when I played this to her, sort of expecting her to remember it, she went, no, I've not heard this. Is it Westlife? And I think that that kind of says everything you need to know and should explain my feelings about it. Mm. Let you say both of it has that really syrupy kind of winner song feel to it that i can't quite look past it's all very delicately arranged but i don't know it just nothing sticks nothing lands it just nothing feels weighty about it it's all just drifty and it's like it's hard to get a grasp of the melody it's hard to kind of grab hold of any part of it and pull it down so that you can look at it it just kind of drifts along and does its thing whereas evergreen i think it's decent like for some reason i remember this being on the radio more i, I haven't heard this 100. for 15 yeah. yeah i haven't heard this for like 15 years but i remember it very clearly um it also does have that same winner's song feel about it but because the lyrics are all about wanting to seize a moment and make it last and it's got that vague feeling of romance and and love uh, it becomes you know it, it's broader in its in its themes and in its lyrics and i think it makes it more tolerable as a result um will is quite a sweet performer i think he's not my favorite and i think we have much better to come with him both songs that get to number one and songs that don't the ones that don't like who am i and your game I really like both of those and it's a shame that we won't really get to say Mm. more about them, but there is one of his that does get to number one that I like more than both evergreen and anything is possible, but evergreen is nice. I think it's will is like I say, he's quite sweet and tender as a vocalist, but he knows how to go for and then achieve melodrama and get to it. Um, I think that he was less of, how do I put this? You know, Gareth on Pop Idol definitely went on a J-word from beginning to end, whereas Will didn't really. Will kind of just arrived as who he ended up being, really, by the end of the show. The only moment of genuine drama and conflict that suggested towards a journey on his Pop Idol quest, if you will, is the moment where, I think it's in Boot Camp, where Simon tells him, I forget what song he performs, but Simon tells him, that wasn't good enough. That was kind of mediocre to me. And Will says, no, it wasn't. He said, I I don't believe it was. I thought I sounded really good. Yeah, that's a fun moment. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's the closest that I think a Pop Idol ever came to, like, making will a character who you tuned in to see like you know a, a bit of action or you know something to kind of perk the senses i thought you know will clearly connected with a lot of people but i think it was just that he arrived very clean you know it, it, like the like the kind of person who doesn't have a backstory doesn't have a life before he turns up in pop idol he just kind of is He he arrives exactly as he is, and then he finishes as he starts, and people connected with him from day one. There was no need to craft a story like there was with Gareth, where he walks into his audition unable to talk, but then the voice of an angel comes out, and there you go. And he's even got like the the quite iconic hairdo that everybody copied for about three years afterwards with the little spikes and the the wet-look gel, and they built him out of those parts that were in the audition, whereas with Will there was much less left to build I think, he he was more complete upon arrival, I think is what I'm trying to say Um, and I think he does get given much better stuff um, as as his career goes on, like I say, not all of it makes it to number one, considering his first single sold over a million copies, it's surprising how little we actually end up talking about Will (laughs) over the next few years, but Everybody who's our age, well, most people our age and older will always associate Will with, you know, I I've, with the with a big change in the UK and UK pop culture. You know, when mm. we were going through yeah. those headlines before the news headlines, like Queen Mother dying, uh, Millie Dowler um, going missing, Ali G in the house, Ocean's Eleven, Bend It Like Beckham. You know the ITV digital thing, there's just, there's loads of things that it's amazing that so many things that I associate with the rest of the noughties happening in a really small period of time in 2002, it feels like 2000, you know, the 2000s were very rudely awoken last year and now they're awake and now the 2000s are very much here and so the winner of Pop Idol getting a number one single, you can kind of see the future out in front of you a little bit with how especially how the the Christmas charts are gonna be on this show over the next ten years. But also like, you know, the Millie Dowler thing that has repercussions a decade down the line. Um and mm. it's amazing that all of this happened so close together. It was kinda like the episode where you had David Beckham's free kick against Greece, 9-11 and Kylie Minogue, all I uh, can't get you out of my head, all happening and the Harry Potter films being starting all within the same six-week period. And it's amazing what sticks and what doesn't. Because um, I imagine just as many things happened around those periods of time in 2001 and 2002 that we don't remember. But the things that have stuck and have become very important and have had big impacts down the line and a big legacy all seem to happen very close together. So um, I, I don't know if any of us have got anything more to say about this double A side.
2: Well... Can you remember if you were a Will or Gareth household, either of you? Oh, I was a Gareth.
0: I I was a Gareth household. Me and my two cousins all voted for Gareth and my grandma, she voted for Will. Uh, She was the sole victor in the house that night. (laughs) (laughs) My household was split. Um, Me and
1: my sister, who were both kids, we were huge Gareth supporters uh, my dad was ambivalent, <laughs> um, and my mo- <laughs> my mum was a big Will supporter, and she she didn't like just stop there. She um she really was a big Will fan, going on throughout his career. She's been to see him multiple times. She's got quite a few of his albums. She was really genuinely big Will fan, um throughout the, the sort of first ten years of his career, really. And um yeah, she was hooked on him from the start. So. Uh, if history is written by the victors then my mum won the war so yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> as the old saying goes
0: <clears throat> last up this week
2: is this lonely rivers flow to the sea to the sea to the open mouths of the sea lonely riverside Wait for me, wait for me. I'll be coming home. Wait for me.
1: Oh, my love,
2: my darling. I've hungered for your.
0: is unchained melody by gareth gates released as the lead single from his debut studio album entitled what my heart wants to say unchained melody is gareth gates first single to be released in the uk and his first uk number one it's not the last time we'll be coming to gareth on this podcast unchained melody is a cover of the 1955 song written by alex north and Hi Zaret, and recorded by Todd Duncan. Gareth Gates is the fourth artist to take Unchained Melody to number one in the UK, after Jimmy Young in 1955, The Righteous Brothers in 1965 and 1990, and Robson and Jerome in 1995. Unchained Melody went straight in at number one as a brand new entry, knocking Will Young off the top of the charts. It stayed at number one for four weeks, In its first week at number one, it sold 851,000 copies, beating competition from Tainted Love by Brian Hugh Warner, better known as Marilyn Manson, which got to number five. In its second week at the top, it sold 228,000 copies, beating competition from For My People by Missy Elliott, which got to number five. In its third week at number one, it sold 102,000 copies, beating competition from I'm not a girl, not yet a woman by Britney Spears, which got to number two. And in its fourth and final week at the top of the charts, it sold 84,000 copies and beat competition from Lazy by Express 2, featuring David Byrne, which got to number two. Gosh darn it. When it was knocked off the top of the charts, Unchained Melody dropped three places to number four, and by the time it was done on the charts, it had been inside the top one hundred for thirty-eight weeks. It is the second number one this week and the third number one of two thousand and two to have officially sold one million copies in the UK. Um Jesus. Lizzie, how are we yeah. with this version of Unchained Melody? I guess you're gonna go into you know it's about Unchained Melody in general, but
2: yeah. Well yeah, because I was going to say, I personally think this is a bit of a cop-out on behalf of the Simons. Like, sure, it it got to number one, which I suspect is the end goal ultimately. But again, like I said with Will, in terms of launching a new artist into an already overcrowded market, I personally don't think this does Gareth Gates much good. Like, his performance on this is nice enough. Like, he's got quite a soft androgynous singing voice and he pulls off the subtleties of Unchained Melody's vocal arrangements without veering too much into karaoke territory but again I kind of think we do we really need another version of Unchained Melody it seems kind of like cowardice as if they don't trust him with an original song so they've got to give him something that's a guaranteed hit because, as you have mentioned, this has been number one, what was it, five times before this? Uh,
0: four yeah. times? Um, four times with three different artists, yeah.
2: So so this is the fifth, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I, I kind of don't want to go into a whole conversation about Unchained Melody itself. I do like the song, but I don't think there's, en- there's much to really say about it. It's Unchained Melody. It's a standard it, 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 you know, it is what it is. Um, I just find this cover, while it's it's pleasant enough, it's kind of I don't really need it. It almost sounds more like musical theatre. It's got that kind of. There's another X Factor star I'm thinking of, which kind of springs to mind as someone who has a really good singing voice, but it almost seems more suited for that musical theatre style than it does for pop. Mm-hmm. And this it feels like a bit of a dead end, this. Um mm. yeah. I I'm curious to see what you have to say because I'm sure there are people who love this, but I'm sadly not one of them.
0: Andy, yeah, how do you feel about it?
1: I, I completely get what you're saying, Lizzie, that it's it's an uninspired song choice and it's quite by the numbers and there's not much that Gareth can really do with this. I would mm. like to posit that that's what makes this song really good. <laughs> okay. So I just, yeah, go when on. I say really good, I just want to clarify that right from the start that I think that this is one of the first songs that we've covered on the podcast that I would say is so bad it's good that it, I okay. think it's, it starts <laughs> as nice and enjoyable, gets so over the top and so excessive and so manipulative that it loops back around again to be an enjoyable as a sort of funny (laughs) artifact of what this song is doing I mean just uh, uh, everything about Gareth right I mean Will Young obviously was the winner but Gareth he is the key to the talent show genre like he is the one that Hmm. that people were like right yeah yeah, this is how we get people hooked he is the proton torpedo down the death star shaft he is like the one (laughs) that starts all this in that he's Um, He's shy He's young He's, you know, very attractive But also he's got this speech impediment Which means that we can kind Mm -hmm. of Manipulate you with that But it's not something that you can see So you can still admire this young twink You know, it's like There's a lot that you can do with Gareth And it's quite... Like, surprising that he didn't win, I think, really. Like, credit to the viewers for actually giving the best yeah, singer yeah. the victory because you would think Gareth would have won because he really had the kind of whole voter package, really. And they keep on with this, like, oh, isn't he lovely? Isn't he adorable thing right after he's won? I mean, right down to, have we clocked that album title? What My Heart Wants to Say? I what, know. Wants to say because oh, he's got a God. stutter. Like, come on. <laughs> I know. Isn't that awful? <laughs> How did they get away with that? Jeez it kind of reminds Christ. me of, coming back to Britain's Got the Pop Factor, which I know we keep referencing, and that's because that's like a perfect microcosm of everything that these shows did. It reminds me of, you know, Two Up, Two Down that they have on that show. There's the two people <laughs> yeah. in the wheel. Is, um, yeah. is it R. Wayne as, and, and R. Wayne one of as well? R. Wayne as well. One of the contestants. The way they treat the, the, the disability as a kind of... Feature of mild attraction more than anything else Like a selling point for him It's just vulgar And so immediately it's like Okay so what point are we starting from here Then they give him this absolutely ancient archaic song That you know has been covered by about a million people And like he starts with this incredibly soft voice that he's got You know like you say quite androgynous Quite sort of you know soft like you want to give him a hug but the production just keeps on building and building and there's all these strings <laughs> and drums that are so unnecessary. And so Gareth has to kind of power up to try <laughs> to try and keep pace with it. And so by the point that he does that and ah, but the really highness at the end, I just find myself wanting to burst into laughter because <laughs> it's like you really, this Gareth is really just making the most of this moment. They've given him this really cutesy song that no one could possibly be offended by to maximise on his sales and to maximise on his popularity. He's not like it's it's not a good match for him, and they've over, overproduced it to the nines. So he just goes for it. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of works in a way of, like, knowing you're being manipulated but sort of not minding. Like, I've got to, I've got to admit that, like, it is, like, really, like, bad. It's, it's really quite trashy. Like, if I was, like, on a train or something and um, this was on and was approaching that high notes, I would just be like, yeah, it's going to turn this down a bit. Yeah, <laughs> like You wouldn't want to be seen listening to this, really. But I find it just so endearing that this is a really... He's only 16, you know, this is a really young star, who is seizing that moment, who is really doing something with it. Was he really only 16,
0: 17 when he turned upon Pop yeah, Idol? Yeah,
1: yeah, oh, who, yeah. Who, wow. Full credit to him. I Actually, I, I personally don't want to make fun of this speech impediment. That is a thing that, like, he is getting over live in front of the nation, making a star of himself, of making tons of money, getting to sleep with Katie mm. Price, but we'll glaze over that bit. Um And he, you know, he's seizing his moment and he is just about owning it, just about managing to stay in control of this song that he probably didn't even know before he went on the show. Um, and I think full credit to, and I kind of enjoy it just as a kind of heartwarming thing of, if this isn't a winner's song, it kind of feels like one anyway. He's really making the most of this and got a number one and got the second highest selling song of the entire noughties with this unbelievable that Will and Gareth have the top two like he he really could not possibly have done better with this song other than beaten Will directly which obviously he was never going to do so I just think, you know what, this is a nice kind of happy ending to what is a extremely manipulative and cheesy story but one that I can't help but get swept up in Um, so yeah, I I actually quite like it while acknowledging that it's really bad Um, the only other thing I did not know that this song was written by Alex North. That's something I learnt today. So thanks for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The only thing that Gareth Gates and 2001 A Space Odyssey have in common. Wow. It's
2: it's also the only thing that Gareth Gates and Bron from Game of Thrones have in common.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Robson and
1: Jerome. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Uh. Imagine saying that (laughs) to to Gareth. So the song we're going to give you, most recently you might have heard it from... um, Oh, you know, there's these two who you you might know one of them from like Cold Feet or whatever. That Robson Green was in. <laughs> I don't even know what Robson Green was in. But imagine <laughs> selling this to Gareth. Like he would not have been impressed with this song choice, but he makes it work, and that's why that's why I really like it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think with the ones that we with the songs by Gareth Gates that we're going to cover, I think his. I think he knew from the start. Once they were building this story around him, that his shelf life as a genuine, you know, record breaking pop artist was mm. gonna last about a year. And so just pack in as much as you can into yeah. that year. Because uh, yeah. by this time in 2003, they've got him on novelty songs. And oh, yeah, it's doesn't, it really does not last long. Like, you know, I think he has one original number that gets the number one out of the four number ones that I think he gets and three of them are covers and one of them is a massive novelty like they're basically just making him perform like a puppet by the time he gets his last number one so I think he knew and for somebody so young you know he must be thinking right I've got to find ways to set myself up now for life where I have to, you know, it's like kind of like sports stars. You know, they try and make as much money through sponsorship as they can because by 35, 40, it's all gone. You know, the career finishes and you have to find your own way afterwards. And so it makes sense for pop stars to do a similar thing. With regards to Unchained Melody, you can't really go wrong with Unchained Melody um, if you, you know, do it, if you pay enough respect to it. It has a similar kind of quality to something like, uh, you know, in Dreams, Roy Orbison... In that it keeps finding it keeps finding new places to go, new avenues to go down. It's not entirely linear like um, Roy Orbison's is, but it keeps finding ways to rephrase itself, and it finds new ways to start its very few repeated sections. And it's a song that makes I think makes you feel like you've come a long way in a really short space of time. The nineteen sixty five Righteous Brothers yeah. version I think is really beautiful. Um, the nineteen ninety version, oh, yeah. The nineteen ninety version less so the re-recording mm. is not great because i think that was that yeah. was for ghost i think and it's 25 years later and oh boy uh, so i think as long as you stick to the main ingredients and so don't fuss with it too much you're basically guaranteed hit with this you know it's been number one five times now 10 versions of the song have reached the uk charts and only two of those versions didn't make the top 40 There was a re-recording by Jimmy Young in 1964 and there was a 1986 cover by Leo Sayer and the Leo Sayer version fucks with the formula too much. Usually I prefer cover versions that take the lyrics and maybe the vocal melody and then completely change everything else around it, you know, to turn it into something new. Uh, But Unchained Melody's not really been successfully reinterpreted up to now, you know, at least not in a way I've heard, um... This version keeps with the formula, so it's kind of onto a winner, I guess. And, I mean, it sold a bucket load. In fact, it sold several bucket loads. It sold skip loads. But it's very clean. It's very clean. It's polished and professional to the point where it starts to feel false. The instrumental, Andy, that you were talking about before, like, me and Andy, me and you, we take part in a karaoke league. Yes. and. I have heard the karaoke instrumental to this that gets put out there by, you know, Sunfly or Zoom karaoke or something. <laughs> and the karaoke instrumentals are better than this. This, this feels a bit Butlin's Unchained Melody. <laughs> and <laughs> Gareth's vocals, they're sweet, but they're very, very sterile and smooth. The way And it's not mm. to do with him. It's to do with the no, way no. that they've produced his voice and produced the track. The whole thing has been has had any life kind of vacuum suctioned out of it. So that what you get is just you're looking at the bare essentials, but it's all kind of like creased and wrapped in plastic. You know that the original form is in there somewhere, but what you're looking at is the opposite, really. Um I think it's the sort of right song to go with to launch him. The facts say that it was fine. But I feel a bit... And I don't feel bad for him because, you know, he made a lot of money off this, I'm sure. But I don't know. I feel like they were setting him up to be something bigger than he ended up being. And I think a lot of the stuff that he did eventually sort of had to be not off his own back. But, you know, I think he had to find his way again like a second time around when he was no longer the cute little boy with the stammer when he was a man who could sing and had, as far as I'm aware, had worked through the, you know, he had lots of vocal training and, you know, by the time he came, not came back as such, but, you know, by the time he was forming a career with other things, it was something, you know, the nervousness and the anxiety were mostly things he'd got over and so the Mm. image that he'd had built for him had to change and it all happened so quickly and fizzled out so quickly that I think he really did do anything they told him to, just so that he could have other things to latch on to when I think, he must have, I have a feeling that he was very well advised, and he had a it sounds like, and you can tell from his audition as well, that he had a good solid family around him, which I think is, what if you're going to be that young and that famous, that's what you need I think you need a really good family around you to make sure that you don't necessarily stay grounded, because by all means enjoy it, but when it's all over, something to come back to. It's people who can help you build something else. And kind of fair play to him for doing that. I feel like I'm doing a retrospective and we've got to come to him three more times on this show. I was about to say. <laughs> so, yeah, it's. On Chain Melody's fine. Bit clean for me,
1: but meh. You know that family he surrounds himself with, they give him good advice. Is it the Q Mars? <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't resist that one. You know, it's I was I was really about to say, it's funny you should say that about how he was well advised and how he's probably made a lot of money and has been giving good advice on stuff. Because yes, he did a lot of stuff that, you know, he had to do, like appearing in S Club's movie seeing Double as a clone of himself.
2: Oh and yeah and
1: doing the duet with the humor's, which we'll come to <laughs> in the future. But amongst other things, right? He uh, is an investor in an organization that helps to fund films, including Avatar. So, yes, Gareth Gates helped to fund Avatar. So he must have made a fairly good amount of money out of that. Um, So I think he's doing okay. Yeah, apparently he was he was worth possibly tens of millions by the end of the noughties. So uh, I think he's doing just
0: fine. Good on him. Good on him. I, um, I, I don't I don't begrudge him it at all.
2: Oh well, bloody hell! Yeah. The,
0: the the other thing that I've um, just read about him is obviously publicly he was known for the um, the stutter and having the speech impediment, but apparently he's used something called the Maguire program, and now he is a speech coach with the Maguire program. So he helps people oh, who cool. have had similar afflictions, which I think is very sweet. The last thing I want to say about this is that as much as I'm not a massive fan of this version, I think that for our generation this is the definitive version. Because the longest gap that there's been in the UK charts well, I suppose with Unchained Melody, the longest gap that Unchained Melody has gone without being number one by someone is 25 years between 1965 and 1990. You know, it first hit number one in 55, then again in 65, 10 years later, then again in 90, 25 years later, then in 95, five years later, then 2002, seven years later. So 2027 will be the cutoff point for Unchained Melody. It will have passed through. It will currently be on its longest run, having not got to number one. And I don't think that the current pop charts are in the place that they were, or in, in a suitable place for Unchained Melody to be number one. Which means that Unchained Melody may live by uh, the Unchained Melody by Gareth Gates may live on as like the the kind of the last version to be number one to yeah, take it th- to th- those heights. This
2: was a year before Spectre, though, because Phil Spectre killed Lana Clarkson and he produced The Righteous Brothers. Ah, yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's true.
2: Which is, I'd I'd say, the most famous version of that song. Yeah. So it's got that kind of... Yeah, maybe that happened then, yeah. Do we
1: think the next release of Unchained Melody will come before or after the release of Bob the
0: Builder's next Mambo? (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> well we, we, When was it supposed to be When was Mambo number 6 Meant to be Was it 2027 <laughs> Or 2026
2: <laughs> I... So yeah The next Mambo is due In 2056 Which is Mambo number 6 There's time
0: Well I was thinking Should, should, should us three Tackle it We can try and get this released Get get, get Unchained Melody to number one by the year 2056 New Year's Eve 2055 When when we get to the end Yeah (laughs) Tips on the high note
2: (laughs) I've got some Gareth Gates news if you want by the way Oh always So um, at the time of recording this, we're in early 2023 uh, You can actually see Gareth Gates live in Blackpool later this year Um, He'll be starring in... The Spongebob musical wow. as Squidward. Wow.
0: It's, I tell you what, it ain't much, but it's honest work. So fair yeah. play to him. Yeah.
2: And he'll be, it, get this, he'll be starting with Davina DeCampo as Plankton. Wow. <laughs> oh my
0: God. What? I, I want to go. I want to see this. <laughs> Davina DeCampo and Gareth Gates. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, okay. On uh, well, with that news, uh, I know what I'm going to go and do now—go and booking <laughs> tickets. But before we go, before we leave, uh, you lovely listeners, we're just going to check whether any songs from this week are going in the pie hole or the vault. So, "World of Our Own" by Westlife—is—is is that going anywhere for anyone? No. Nah. No. Nope. No. Anything is possible. Double A side with "Evergreen" by Will Young. Nope. Nah. Also no, and Unchained Melody by Gareth Gates is—is is that going anywhere for anyone?
1: Sadly, no, uh,
0: no. Okay, next time we'll be back for uh, the period between the twenty-first of April and the eleventh of May. So that's a that's a bloody short time frame. I hope there's enough news uh, for us to do the early seg- uh, segment of the episode and. Not have to really, really look through editions of like the local newspapers just to find something, (laughs) anything. Um, But we will see you then. Thank you very much for listening this time, and we'll see you next time. Bye now. Bye bye. (laughs) See ya.